Good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the Daniel Island Fellowship. And as we begin this time in our service, I'm going to invite you to share one more word of prayer with me. So please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, this morning, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, for some of you, this might be comfortable, depending on your church background. For others, this might be brand new. What we're going to be doing this morning is called a diff panel. And I'm going to be inviting two of the men of our church to come up and share their story, their testimonies. And my invitation to everyone here this morning is that um, you prayerfully consider one takeaway that could impact your life or the life of one of your friends as they share uh, their stories. So at this time, I want to invite Frank Sills to make his way forward and Chuck Jenkins to make his way forward. Can we give them a round of applause as they come? Frank, can you grab that, that wireless mic? And uh, I think it's fitting that these guys are with me this morning because uh, we do have, I think, 58 women on a retreat down at Camp St. Christopher, and they're sharing their stories. So we wanted to keep up with them, right? right? And so, um, guys, thanks for agreeing to this time. I, I know we've done some preparation, and really God's been preparing your hearts to share. And um, I'm excited to see what God will do with your stories this morning. Uh, before I forget, I think both of these men would welcome anyone that feels drawn to come to them after the service for more information to come and seek their help, counsel, etc. So I'm just going to do some popcorn questions like a popcorn panel, and let's just dive in. Uh, guys, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Who are you? Are you married, kids? Where are you from? How'd you end up here at the DI Fellowship? Chuck Jenkins. Um, I uh, married. Uh, my wife is Sarah. Uh, she's at the women's retreat right now, coming home uh, here shortly. Got two kids, John Michael and Banks. Uh, we moved to Charleston in 2010 from Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, but I'm a South Carolinian, born and raised. Uh, what brought me here was my work. Uh, I'm in the healthcare sector and uh, own and run a couple of small businesses. Hi, my name's Frank, and uh, I've been in Charleston since 2011. I'm married. I have three kids. They're aged 14, 12, and 7. Um, we've known Paul f probably since the beginning of the start of this church, so it's almost five years, you said, right? So yeah. 2014. Um, and I grew up in New Jersey, um, and I lived in New York City for about 15 years before moving here. And what, what industry oh. are you in? Uh, I'm an artist and I'm a teacher. So I'm a painter. And uh, those two tree paintings are mine. So I'm going to point those out. Great. Tell <laughs> sure. us a bit about your spiritual journey. What did your early life look like? And what led you to finally surrender your heart to the Lord? Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in a small town called Clover, South Carolina. It's just next to Rock Hill, south of Charlotte. 
And I grew up in a very close family. I grew up going to church. In fact, most of my childhood memories were in church, in the youth group, uh, youth camps, and whatnot. I have an older sister. My parents are still married. Uh, They just celebrated 50 years of marriage just a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, But I learned later, and and I'll get to that in my testimony, that I had a lot of head knowledge of who God is. I had a lot lot of head knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. I could quote scriptures. Uh, I could actually quote some of them relatively well. Um, but it wasn't real. It was, definitely wasn't personal. Um, I ended up going off to college, went to University of South Carolina, pledged a fraternity, uh, and every stereotype that comes with the fraternity life, I lived out that stereotype. I, I lived it out to, to its fullest. Uh, one would say I went off the deep end, as some would describe it. Uh, but what was ironic, I would still find myself going to church on Sunday mornings many times, uh, just because it was kind of in me. It was a habit, and it's a, and it's a good habit. Um, one of those Sunday mornings, in fact, he's sitting here today, kind of funny how God does some full circle stuff. Uh, Jonathan Dixon was actually one of my fraternity brothers. Uh, Jonathan invited me to go hear this guy named Adrian Dupree speak one Sunday morning. He knew I was going to church some, so he said, hey, I'm going to go hear this guy named Adrian speak at the uh, college ministry. I want you to come with me. And I went, and Adrian spoke on a, um, a message, and he titled it Sunday Morning Christianity. Uh, his whole message was living your life for yourself Monday through Saturday and checking the box uh, for Christianity on Sunday. And there was probably 250 college kids in the room, but it might as well have just been me uh, because the Holy Spirit was all over me. I felt like Adrian was talking to only myself, uh, and it's what we now call a divine appointment. God, God wanted to do business with me that morning. Um, and for the first time ever, I went all in. I truly believed Uh, by what John 3.16 talks about, for whoever believes shall not perish and have everlasting life. And if I can, for just a quick second, I actually think that verse, and I learned later, because I actually ended up being discipled by Adrian, but I learned later that that verse is one of the most dangerous verses in all of the Bible. And the reason it's dangerous is because a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, uh, don't fully understand what the word believe means. In fact, you have to go back to the Old Testament and Numbers where Moses actually had a staff uh, that God told him to make out of a serpent. And the Israelites were being bitten by snakes. And God told him, all you do got to do is look at the staff and believe and you'll be healed. Well, it's not a casual belief. It's not a head knowledge belief. The, the kind of imagery there is a guy drowning. The imagery is someone that's truly drowning and your life depends on that belief. It is not just an intellectual belief. It's not an emotional belief. It's a surrenderance of everything all in belief. And August 26th of my sophomore year of college, I went all in. I confessed sins, I repented, and I went all in. And I described the Christian walk that when you do go all in, I describe it like God hooks a bungee cord to you. Uh, There will be times in your life you will stretch and you'll get away from God from your own doing. And you'll hear some of that in a minute. Uh, But he won't ever let the bungee cord snap. Uh, He may snap you back, but he will never let it snap and break. And so my Christian journey actually began truly August 26th of my sophomore year. I'm going to fast forward real fast because I think there's an interesting story here of just how God chases after us uh, continuously. And then as believers, how he honors uh, us as children. Um, Hmm. I went off to uh, finish that that, that fall semester, went home for Christmas break, came home, uh, excuse me, came back to campus, excuse me, came back to college. Not only was I in the fraternity, I was the uh, rush chairman, and I was the social chairman. So I was, uh, not only was I at the parties, I planned the parties. So you can kind of imagine uh, what that life was like. But now the Holy Spirit's living in me. I truly am uh, one of God's children. 
And I had been living some of Chuck's old life for a few days, and I was highly convicted. And I found myself on the fraternity hall, on my knees, literally crying out to God, not figuratively, but literally crying out to God. And I said, God, I need someone to talk to. I need someone that I can hear their audible voice. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I was a new believer. And I'm sitting there literally crying, praying to God. And I know this sounds kind of weird, but I had the craziest sensation to go to the bathroom. I literally had to go pee. I mean, that sounds crazy to say that. I got up off my knees because we had community bathrooms at the end of the fraternity hall. There was no bathrooms in your dorm room. And when I opened the door, Adrian Dupree was standing on my fraternity hall um, and right in front of the door, and he's leaning over, holding his knees. He's sweating, and he's out of breath. This was the guy that spoke back in August 26 when I gave my life to the Lord. That day he spoke and I gave my life to the Lord, I never met Adrian because when I went forward and did the altar call, I never interacted with Adrian. I interacted with another gentleman. So Adrian did not know who I was, but I knew who he was. I said, Adrian, why are you standing here on my hall? He's sweating. He's out of breath. He's a big man, played football. He said, Chuck, I don't know. He said, I was doing outreach here on University of South Carolina's campus, and God told me to get to the Sigma Nu fraternity hall. And he said, I started sprinting here as fast as I could. And he said, is there something that you need? And I said, yeah, I do. And so we spent the next two hours praying together. He taught me what this meant to be. If you're going to be holy, you have to surround yourself with holiness. We ripped posters off the wall. We took CDs and threw them in the trash. And I realized that God is a God that will chase after you. And a God, while that bungee cord is there, he will, over time, shrink in that bungee cord, shrink in that bungee cord, and shrink in that bungee cord, and he will chase after you. Mm. Come on now. Come on now. All right, Frank, let me repeat the question. Yeah, I can see the questions there. Tell us about your spiritual journey, what you did early. What did your early life look like, and what led you to finally surrender to the Lord? Yeah, so I was raised um, by a pretty very stable household. We went to church. Uh, I was was kind of raised in the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, I would say that we just, we went to church on Sunday didn't really talk too much about God or Jesus outside of that. And uh, it was very confusing for me. I just, uh, I really didn't connect with it. I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't speaking to me, um, the stories and uh, the gospel. Um, but I kind of went um, sort of out of sort of uh, obligation or, yeah, my, you know, my parents kind of made me go. So I just was like, okay, um, I'm going to do this. I got confirmed. Um, and I kind of just like dropped off from church after that, you know. Um, I'd say going into college. Um, I don't think I would ever call myself an atheist. I was definitely sort of leaning towards the agnostic. Um, I kind of, I think be, being an artist, I was always sort of, and I have very good memories of, of being in, in church service. And, um, you know, the Catholic tradition is, is a lot more uh, into the art. <laughs> so I got a lot out of that and the ritual. Um, and I have some really good memories of that. Um, you know, I was, I was very into like, again, being an artist, um, the the act of creation. I could kind of see God in that. Um, I didn't really know how the scripture and the stories in the Bible kind of fit in with my life as it is right now. Um, it, it wasn't speaking to me, so it was a lot of kind of investigating different like sort of mystical traditions, different religions. Took a lot of like philosophy classes. Um, you know, I was very like logical about the whole like question of God and, and reality. Um, 
like I said, I, I wouldn't have ever considered, I, would, I guess agnostic would have been sort of like loosely a skeptical believer or whatever you want to sort of call it. Um, I started dating my, my now wife um, at the time, and we met in New York. We went to the same grad program. Um, and she was a very strong influence on me. She was, um, you know, she was a Christian, a uh, very strong woman. She, um, as we were dating, she was very upfront about her, her beliefs, and she went to church, and she said, this is part of who I am, and, you know, if you're going to accept me, you have to accept that. And I was, I was searching, you know, I, I had gotten to this point in my life that I was, I was looking for meaning, and I was, I was looking for, you know, at the time, divine. I don't, the, the divine, I don't think I could have said it at the time, but I was searching, you know, and, um, and I fell in love with this woman, and we eventually got married. Um, kind of about six months after we started dating, 9-11 um, happened in New York, uh, which was very traumatic for me personally, because my cousin was killed in one of the towers, so that was, that was very, very hard for me to deal with, and it kind of, you know, leveled my, my reality, you know, it kind of, uh, it's weird, I, I kind of like knew, like God, in, intellectually, I, I, I sort of knew it, but it, it kind of hit my heart, and for some reason, God used that to you know, bring me back to him. Um, there was a lot of pain and suffering. And for some reason, you know, I, I kind of think about, some people have the opposite reactions to that, right? Like something very traumatic like that, they would be very quick to say, well, how could you believe in God now, you know? Um, but all these things that were kind of stewing around in, in me crystallized at that point. For me, um, my pursuit of God went out, out from my head to my heart. Um, I really took comfort in kind of revisiting my Christian roots. Um, the idea that, that God does, just doesn't suffer for us, but he suffers with us um, really spoke to me. And um, I got a lot of healing from that. And I kind of just set me back on my journey with Christianity um, we were going to a Redeemer church plant in New York City, um, started really getting into um, kind of revisiting scripture and being part of a community. And also, um, like Tim Keller was really instrumental, like listening to his sermons, um, just really uh, reinvigorated me. Hmm. Um, that's, I think I answered all those questions. That's good. Or should I keep this? No, I'll, okay. I'll go, I'll give you a break. And uh, forgive us for our small church. You can hear the kids celebrating, but I think it's beautiful in the back. So kiddos, keep celebrating. All right, Chuck uh, and, and Frank, can you describe a time when you've endured suffering or sorrow in your life, perhaps even from personal wrongdoing, and later you've seen it result in greater good and God's glory? Yeah, so this one was a mouthful question when Paul talked to me about this. And there was a purpose he, I think, wanted me to be part of the panel on this very question. So fast forward, I'm a believer. Uh, I got married. We have one little kid, another one on the way. 
And I started experiencing a lot of success in business pretty fast. Um, I was in the pharmaceutical sector, uh, took several promotions, moved around the country uh, with several promotions, ended up in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I found myself 31 years of age, and I was actually running a, a brand that was doing over 400 million in sales. I was being paid way more money than I deserved. Uh, and I was in a very interesting culture and an interesting environment. I was in a publicly traded company, and it was a work hard, play hard type environment. Um, and even though I was a believer, and I think this is probably one of the myths and lies of becoming a Christian, that you think the road is just going to be perfect and flawless thereafter, and it's not. And my testimony uh, is, is uh, consistent with the fact that it's not. So I found myself having a lot of success, and I was putting a lot of my hope and a lot of my um, satisfaction in money, uh, the position that I was in, uh, the accolades that I received. Uh, I used to be referred to by the CEO as his understudy, right? When you're 31 years of age and a large publicly traded company is calling you uh, your, your understudy, uh, you sort of form an ego. I had one. I actually thought that all the success that I was having was due to me. I thought I was actually that smart and that good. And, uh, and I was beginning to drift. And uh, I told Paul this kind of analogy, this metaphor. You know, you guys have all been to the beach. When you're out there in the ocean and you're just kind of floating in the ocean, you feel like if you're just looking at the surroundings around you, you feel like you're in the same place, right? Uh, if you're not careful, uh, before you know it, you've drifted all the way down the beach and you don't even realize it has happened. Uh, but what's ironic is the people from the beach looking at you, they can see you drifting the entire time. So it's mm -hmm. obvious from people from afar, or really not that afar. Uh, my wife was watching me drift. My wife was watching me drift away. And um, I didn't know it until later. She was praying that God would rip me out of that environment. She was praying that God would actually rip me out of this company uh, where I was having all the success and all these accolades and all this, you know, uh, worldly, I guess, success. And uh, that's exactly what happened. God ripped me out of this uh, environment, and that's a story for another time. Uh, but I found myself losing my job, and in that brokenness, because all my hope was in my money, my job, that prosperity, uh, in that brokenness, I found myself back on my knees. And again, going back to that bungee cord that God hooked you to, once you go all in as a believer, he, he ripped me back. So I found myself on my knees, um, I'm growing, I'm back in the Word, I'm back in Bible study. We moved to Charleston in 2010, uh, we're doing good from the outside in, and because I'm doing this well, uh, God is convicting me like crazy. So for about two years, uh, I did not sleep well, and there was a reason for it, because every time I would lay down at night in bed, um, the Holy Spirit would convict me about bringing some sin of mine to light. And he said, I know, Chuck, you've confessed this to me, and I know you are, quote, unquote, right with me, but for you to truly have healing, for you to truly uh, have reconciliation, you have to bring the sin um, to light with your wife. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. In fact, I even got bad counsel from believers. I got bad counsel from Christians um, to take this one sin uh, to the grave. Uh, we were at a marriage council a marriage conference, excuse me. And after the marriage conference, uh, it was a phenomenal weekend, and the Holy Spirit would not let me go. And he said, you have to go talk to your wife. And so after two years um, of really growing, you know, you know, as far as back in the Word and back spiritually, um, I sat down with my wife, and I confessed some infidelity to her from two years ago. Uh, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to actually confess infidelity 
uh, wasn't caught in the act, not that that makes it better, uh, but to uh, confess infidelity to your spouse who you love dearly uh, from two years ago. And I like to say I brought the truth to light, and I like to say that it was just miraculous and we had perfect healing and perfect reconciliation. It wasn't the case. Uh, we had two years of a long road to reconciliation, two years of a long road to healing. Uh, but through that, what I learned and what was amazing to me, and I watched it from my wife, she told me later it was the best thing that ever happened to us. She told me later it was the best thing that ever happened to her. She said, Chuck, you are my God. I had put you on a pedestal. And I needed that to happen for me to put God first. So what was amazing through this whole process, she learned to put God first. She took me off the pedestal. Through that healing of her, she showed me true forgiveness, like true forgiveness that only comes when you have a direct relationship with Jesus. And I witnessed reconciliation and healing and redemption like I've never experienced. It was literally like the, the gospel was lived out in our marriage. So the lie is, when you become a believer, everything's perfect. The lie is, when you become a believer, everything's easy. What the truth is, is through God and through that relationship, if you truly do go all in, if you truly do believe, he can heal anything. The reconciliation, redemption, and um, healing can be something that's lived out. And we experienced it, and it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And so she's with 58 women sharing her version of the story while I'm here sharing my version of the story. And uh, to God be the glory. All right. Frank, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, Frank, can you describe a time when you've endured sorrow or suffering in your life, perhaps from personal wrongdoing, and later you've seen it result in greater good or God's glory? Yeah. Um, so my story is kind of from about my late teens uh, and college years. Um, I've struggled with substance abuse, so um, alcohol, drugs, um, kind of in combination and as a re direct result of that, like mental health issues like depression, um, anxiety, uh, insomnia. Um, so there, there have been, um, I've been sober almost four years um, and I've relapsed. Um, no. You know, and, I, and I've gotten sober before and I've relapsed and, you know, it's, it's been part of my story. Um, and there's a lot of suffering that, that came with that. And, um, you know, I, I basically, this last time, it, it got to the, the point of, of unmanageability. Um, for me, I was, I was keeping things secret. You know, I was hiding things. Um, I felt a lot of shame, a lot of guilt remorse. Um, I knew I wasn't living the way I should be. And again, in intellectually, I knew what was, what was right. Um, and that's kind of the baffling thing about addiction. Um, and I got to a point where I, you know, I, at this time, I, it wasn't in my idea to get sober, honestly. Um, I kind of was struck with, uh, again, a lot of mental health issues. I started having anxiety attacks, and I wasn't sleeping, and I was uh, kind of sort of, I would use the all-encompassing word of depression, kind of with a big D. Um, and God, 
you know, God put me through that suffering to kind of wake me up. That was my wake-up call. That was my, that was my bottom. Um, and again, I had to confess it to my, to my family, to my wife. Well, again, a lot of this was, was, was secreted. You know, the, 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 pa- the behavior went underground, as it were. Um, and, you know, I sought help, and I, I was helped by people in this church. Um, I sought counseling. I got outside help from, from other, uh, another program. I was on, uh, you know, I started seeing a doctor again for medication, um, prescribed under doctor's uh, <laughs> orders medication. Um, and, you know, it, and I love that passage that we read. It's like that, uh, that thing that I was so ashamed of and thought was my biggest weakness has allowed me to grow so much spiritually <clears throat> that I'm just, I'm just, I'm amazed at God's grace. And um, it's been a great journey. And I would say, if there are people out there struggling with this, just know that you're not alone and that there's help. When's the last time you saw three men cry together? Uh, on, your, on your spiritual journey, how would you describe your current landscape? How are you experiencing God's presence uniquely in this season? Yeah, so this is where I can kind of flip it and not uh, relive some of the, 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 the wounds of the past um, and forgive the emotion. They're, just, they're, just, they're still raw, right? Um, so where I find myself now, where our family finds ourselves right now, is just really enjoying the journey. Uh, we're enjoying being parents. We're enjoying what's going on with our lives. And I'm slowly learning, and I keep saying the word slowly because I'm not there yet, but I'm learning to just trust God in the moment. Uh, back when I was in, in my early 30s, I thought I was going to conquer the world and take over everything professionally, and I had my agenda. And I've learned, and I'm still learning, uh, that my agenda is just that. It's my agenda. And, uh, and God is slowly teaching me to just get aligned with his agenda. And not just his agenda, but his timing. And so I would say kind of this season of my life right now with, with our family and business is just waiting on God. And, and I'm not really good at that waiting thing uh, too well. But I'm learning to wait on God. I'm learning to allow him to cultivate, develop, and create uh, and then take advantage of what he cultivates and creates versus me trying to plow through and do the cultivating and creating. So uh, I'm not good at it yet. I'm a work in progress, but that's, uh, that's, that's the current landscape. Um, my current landscape, um, I would say I, I've been working a lot with other people in recovery. Um, that's been really uh, helpful to me. Uh, you know, um, I'm kind of a part of another sort of outside program, um, and that's been really rewarding, you know, um, because I think that um, God moves through us through other people. You know, we're meant to be part of a community. Um, I'm just trying to live and, and sort of um, be physically healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. You know, I have practices now. Um, good habits um, that I do. Um, I've been praying a lot more, doing a lot more um, reading, mm-hmm. uh, meditation, um, things like that, exercise. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. And as you look, last question, as you look to the future, what is one word 
that comes to mind in terms of what God has in store for you? Yeah, so I thought about this one for a while, and I, I, I literally could not come up with a word. My, mine was a verse, and uh, I told this in the earlier service, but Romans 8, 28, and I'm going to read it just so I don't paraphrase, but I get the Scripture accurate. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And so, again, I think the Christian journey uh, is phenomenal. And I've, I've been on both sides without God and with, and with is so much better. But it doesn't mean the journey is easy and the journey doesn't have challenges and difficulties. Uh, but what, again, what Satan was trying to use to destroy us and our marriage, God's now using for his glory. And so Romans 8.28 has almost become like a life verse uh, to me. And so there's been ups and downs. Uh, there probably will be more. But as that bungee cord, uh, as I described it earlier, gets shorter and shorter, hopefully my drifting becomes less and less mm -hmm. as a believer and that I learn to walk out this spiritual and, and, and Christian walk. So 8, 20, Romans 8.28 is kind of more, uh, not really the word, but the verse for me. Mm. Um, I would say if I were to use just one word, um, I would say it would be peace. Um, that would be peace with myself, peace with my past, um, and that would in turn uh, bring me peace with the world outside of me. That's it. You can hold that. Right. So some themes from their sharing, like it's okay to not be okay. I don't know about you, uh, but our story... <laughs> I came to faith as a little munchkin, and I kept coming back to faith, and, and I'd come back again and again because I knew I was screwed up, but I'd come with such guilt and shame, and I mean, I, I, uh, I find peace and hope in knowing that God's not done with me or these guys or you. Uh, we're being saved, being made into Christ's image. That's the hope. Salvation is talked about actually in three tenses in Scripture. You're saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. So let me just invite all of us to live in this reality. It's okay to not be okay. You're not God. Secondly, you're not alone. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you've done or what's been done to you, um, God loves you. God loves you. I read this morning in first, excuse me, John 15, this, this verse. Um, Just as I, God has loved me, I have loved you. Now abide in my love. John 15, Jesus saying this to his disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think if you're like me, I, I emphasize abide. Like, okay, is that work I need to do? Look at the backdrop. As the Father loves me, so I love you. You catch that? That love is infinite. It's eternal. eternal. It's unconditional. God loves you. How? He sent his son to die for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's working all things together for your good and his glory. He's for you. He's for us. If you have anything you want to talk to us about, I welcome the conversation. 
A mentor of mine once said, you cannot fight a phantom. You've got to bring it out into the light. And uh, with that, let me close in prayer uh, this time. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that those of us that are carrying shadows, we'd come out of the shadows with all of our grit and be saturated by your grace. God, where life seems helpless, would you extend your help? God, where life seems hopeless, would you expend your, send your hope? Where it's loveless, send your love. Where there's a lack of peace, surround us with your peace. Draw us so close to you that we know you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we're secure in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.